0: As always, it is my pleasure that you've joined me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I'd very much appreciate it as it will give dynamic people such as yourself the optimal opportunity to discover this podcast and to add this podcast to your library of favorite podcasts. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I'd love to work with you one on one, whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support your returning citizens in your organizational and learning environments. Feel free to contact me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Today's topic today, we're going to be talking about the seven habits of highly effective reentry. This is inspired by the masterpiece book by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is certainly a must read for those in your reentry journey and really a must read for anybody. But before we get started, as you know, this week is Thanksgiving week. Um, When this episode drops on Monday, this coming Thursday will be Thanksgiving Day in the United States. And I certainly want to tell everybody and wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. There's so much to be thankful for, even in the midst of an ugly pandemic we're going through, that hopefully we're and see the light at the other end of the tunnel. So, a happy Thanksgiving from me to you and yours. Now, when we're talking about a masterpiece reading, a must read for your reentry journey, Let me share this with you before we get into the subject of the day. When I lived in New York City, I practically grew up in the New York City transit system. And for those of you guys who are from New York and have taken the subways and buses, you know it's always interesting and never boring. But also, during those interesting times, I was always able to satisfy my love of reading. And I could easily get through a book within two weeks. Now, when I moved out of New York City, my opportunities to read had to become more intentional because, of course outside of New York City, there's less mass transit, which cut my opportunities down for reading, and I had to do more driving. So my reading had to be much more intentional. I either had to read in the morning or read in the evening. And then when I was pursuing my graduate studies, one does so much academic reading that your bandwidth doesn't always have the room for recreational reading. During my time at Wayne State University, I read a book that had the most impact on me. And like I said, it was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I didn't know if I had to read it for a class or I just read it for fun, but it was an absolute must read. And as part of your reentry journey, I can't recommend this book anymore that it's an absolute must read. But before we delve more into that, I wanted to share with you during my undergraduate years at St. John's University, I had another book that had the most significant impact of, on me during those years and that was the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. When I took public speaking at St. John's, we had to do a speech on a famous deceased person. At that time, the Malcolm X movie with Denzel Washington was about to come out, and I figured I could read a few pages of the autobiography and coast through the speech. Admittedly, at that time I knew who Malcolm X was, but I didn't know in depth a great deal about him. As you know, those of you guys who've read the autobiography, It's a thick book, and when I started reading it, my intent was just to get through a couple of pages, but when I started reading it, I just couldn't put it down. It was captivating and riveting, from his childhood, going through his criminal justice journey, to finding his religious calling, his journey as as a returning citizen, to becoming a worldwide leader in civil and human rights, and an immortal legend. That's another book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X, that I would certainly recommend to every returning citizen as part of their re- reentry journey. Now back to The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Like I said, this is a book by Stephen Covey, absolute must read. This is a book that is great to read the first time, and it's invaluable to read multiple times. Just a great, solid, fundamental tool for life, and in particular for the re-entry journey. The seven habits that are highlighted in The Seven Habits for Highly Effective People are as follows. One, be proactive. Two, begin with the end in mind. Three, put first things first. Four, think win-win. Five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Six, synergize. And seven, sharpen the saw. The first habit in being proactive, according to Covey, is really about taking initiative and Proactivity really means that we are responsible for our own lives, that our behavior is a function of our decisions, not our conditions. Once again, behavior is a product of our conscious choice based on our values, and it's a product of our decisions, not our conditions. Now, what does it mean to be proactive, especially if you're talking about in the reentry journey? In my immediate reentry journey, I was on work release, and I had to report to a work release counselor and at times also a parole officer. My proactive mindset at that time was that I needed to meet these conditions while I was on work release. So I had to have no police contact. I had to maintain employment. I had to be subject to random drug testing, which I didn't have a problem with. I had to adhere to a curfew because ultimately my objective was to maintain my freedom. And proactively in that mindset, I was not letting anything get in that way. And it was funny, during that time at work release, I had a work release counselor and I met with my work release counselor for the first time. And wouldn't you know it, my work release counselor was a woman who was one of my high school teachers from my sophomore year of high school. Of course, when I saw her there, I was embarrassed that I was there. I went into her office, I spoke to her, we went over our paperwork. And I don't think she recognized me, at least I don't think she recognized me. At the end, I acknowledged myself to her and told her of my initial embarrassment, but I was determined to succeed, and I apologize, sir, for being in that environment and really seeing her under those circumstances. She told me that I, that I seemed familiar, Well, once I said who I was, she immediately made the connection, and she reinforced that my success was up to me, and her job was to support my success. I did not want to let myself or her down. So I continued to be proactive, and I successfully made it through work release. The second habit, begin with the end in mind. Every morning, take the time. I usually do this in the morning, but you could do it different times of the day, depending on what your schedule is. Take the time to be in a quiet place. Go in the process of visualizing what you want. Use your imagination. Visualize the end in mind. At the beginning of any journey, think about your objective and imagine the end of that objective and how good you'll feel when you've accomplished what you're looking to accomplish. Think about those positive feelings that'll happen at the end of that journey. Now, when I look at my entire life and particularly my reentry journey, the continuous end that I keep in mind is really to make life easier and better for returning citizens. To really affect how people see us, how they hire us, and how they have us as part of their school community. As part of my reentry journey, when I think about my doctoral studies program, When I started the doctoral studies program, I really didn't have the end in mind as far as finishing the program. I just was like, let me just finish the semester. And pre and post prison, I always just looked at myself as Richard Lewis. Now I'm in a doctoral program. Can I imagine myself, could it be possible that at the end of this program, however long it takes, that I could be Dr. Richard Lewis? Well, that was a little little high for me to think of at the time because I was only in my first class. But I just thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to imagine that These projects that I'm gonna do are gonna be successful and I'm gonna get through the courses that I need to get through that term. When I got to the dissertation part of my program, that's when things started getting real. And sometimes those dog days of doing research could be so daunting. There were times when I was writing in my notebook, sometimes I would just sign my name, Dr. Richard Lewis, before I even had the degree, because I wanted to actually visualize it. I wanted to see what my name looked like calling myself a doctor. I dream about my mom and my daughter and my family being proud of me and cheering me on on that graduation day as I received my hood. As you know, at the end of my first year of graduate school, my son had passed away and I carried a card that he gave me when I graduated with my second masters. In that card, he congratulated me and he promised me that he would be in the front row cheering me the loudest when I became a doctor. Unfortunately he didn't live to see my graduation from the doctoral program but in spirit he was there and I know he was cheering me on from the best seat in the house from his front seat in heaven I always visualized when I when it was getting close of my mom being there my daughter being there my sister my uncle my godmother my niece being there in love and support and then on that day that day two and a half years ago when I graduated it visualized and came out the exact way that I thought it would. And it was a wonderful thing to see. That end in mind was manifested on that graduation day. The next habit, you wanna put first things first. Now, in growing up, that was a big mantra for my dad. That would be his way. He would always speak to this habit. Now, of course, the this book didn't come out, but that's the way he lived with this habit. He would always emphasize, there's a time and a place for everything. He would say there's a time to do work, there's a time to play, there's a time to sleep, there's a time to get ready. So he'd always say there's a time and a place for everything. And he would always say that when I, when he was trying to get my focus back on my homework and always trying to swing me away from watching television, playing sports, or reading comic books, which were three of my most favorite things growing up as a kid. Putting first things first is really about your personal management. And in your reentry journey, it is your job as a returning citizen to build and create good habits and have those habits build upon each other. Every morning I wake up, I stretch my legs, crack my back, I stand, you know, you know, get 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 the bones moving. I read a daily devotional, I read our daily bread, I meditate and I pray, I work out. I let those first things be first every single day, because I want to establish the foundation for a start to a good day. And it clears my mind to be able to prioritize my short-term, long-term goals, whether it be for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year, by putting those first things first. The next habit, thinking win-win. Now I know it's strange to talk about thinking win-win, because in this day of political tribalism and organizational cultures being a collision sport, it's rare that individuals are seeking a win-win proposition. Right now, in organizations, people are always trying to go out for self. They feel they have to make someone starve for them to eat. I never believed in that. Mom never believed in that. She always believed that everybody could eat. You could always eat without making someone else starve. But in organizations, that's not always present because the competition could be fierce and brutal. When we bring someone on to an organization, and this is any organization I'm talking about, we preach a lot of teamwork we preach the teamwork, but when you come in, we value individual achievement. And those worlds collide. When you say, no, no, we have to have teamwork, but then also at the same time, you have to be, we we, we have to have individual achievement. It really makes life or professional life feel like a triple stress sandwich with cheese. And then you say to yourself, how do you foster a win-win situation? I've come to believe that when you wanna foster a win-win situation, it really comes down to your behavior and your behavior as far as managing processes, issues, objectives, procedures. People don't see that you're making it about them, that you're not trying to manage them, you're not trying to make it personal. That you're doing things in a situation when you're managing the processes and procedures, that you're really doing things to work towards everyone's benefit. In my current leadership role, I always look to balance the students' needs, institutional requirements, colleagues' needs and desires and really to balance all of those things with the focus of what's in the best interest of the student. I use that focus every single time. So there could be just winners and no losers throughout the process. Now, do I get it right each and every time? No, but I believe that you get it right more often than not. And slowly but surely, win the race and do well. Because no matter what it is that you say, you can say, do this, let's do this, let's do that. People look at what you do more so than what you say. So they follow your actions more so than listen to your words. So if your actions display win-win, people will imitate the win-win also. The next habit is seeking first to understand, then to be understood. It's human nature. We all want to be understood. We want people to understand our joys and our struggles. We want to be vested and connected to one another. That's one of the many struggles that that has come with this pandemic, our ability to be optimally connected with one another in each other's physical, personal space. And the Department of Corrections, no matter where you are, when you're incarcerated, they understand that part of human nature very much so. So if there's punishment to be handed out while one is incarcerated, it's the utilization of solitary confinement because that's the agency's utilization to modify behavior and maybe even give additional punitive measures. So when you're in solitary confinement, of course, you're in a situation where you're, where you're disconnected from folks. And that, really, and that really is hard on human nature. When I think about this habit, seeking first to understand, then to be understood, I go back to another experience in grammar school. In my middle school years, when I was a kid, I was suspended from school for two days, had to stay at home with my dad for two days. And now my dad was strict. I just said he was one of those, there's a time and a place for everything. So there wasn't much room for error with my dad. So I did not, I felt like those two days were gonna be the longest two days of my life. My dad was not gonna give me an easy time. But I was really surprised how those two days turned out to be. I ran a lot of errands with him, did a lot of fixing and repairing stuff and helping fix his car with him. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just being a good helper, handing him the tools and stuff. But during that time, during those two days, he took the time to speak to me about the circumstances as to why I was suspended and then talked to me about how him and my mom had me in a Catholic school. They wanted the best for me and they wanted me to do really well. When I felt that my dad was understanding me or at least listening to me to understand me, my heart and my mind was open to understanding him. And then I didn't want to disappoint him anymore. So I figured, you know what? I'm not going to get suspended from school anymore. And luckily I never got suspended again for the rest of my elementary school years and in my high school years did not get suspended because I didn't want to disappoint my dad. I didn't want to disappoint my mom. And even though they're both in heaven right now, I still don't want to disappoint them. So you know I love you both. And hopefully I'm making you proud and not disappointing you. The next habit we talk about is synergize, to, to, to synergize oneself. That, according to Covey, that is the highest activity of life. That's the true manifestation of all your seven effective habits coming together. Because simply speaking, in a team environment, that's when you realize that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I've managed a lot of teams, has had many leadership roles. And unfortunately, synergy is not always there. Because not everyone is about win-win like we talked about before. Some people are really ruthless when it comes to their individual ambition. But you always have to stay on course with what it is that you're trying to do. The current team that I have, they're really high on synergy because to a person, This is a team that really seeks the best interests of students. They want students to optimize their academic journey. In our team, we do admissions, we do advising, we have career conversations, we do the academic planning, we do the student support. We see them from the time they come into our program to the time in which we we graduate. And this is a team that looks out for each other, looks out for the students and really tries to make the students journey as smooth as possible, making all the crooked paths straight. The next habit, the final and seventh habit, is sharpening the saw. That's when you're preserving and enhancing the greatest asset, and that asset is you. That means when you're sharpening the saw, you're looking every day to become better physically, socially, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And you do that little by little each and every day. Do that little by little. One of the motivational speakers I listen to, one of the podcasts I listen to and follow is Sam Crowley, who talk, who, who hosts Every Day of Saturday. And he posted something on social media recently. I follow him on social media. And he posted something on social media that was really interesting. He said, if you commit to being 1% better every day for a year, by the end of the year, you've made a 37% improvement. I thought about that. A 37% improvement is huge is huge. If you don't believe it, try it. Think about that. People might say, oh, 37%, that's not a lot. But think about it, 37. if you have 37% less body fat, 37% more muscle, 37% more money, 37% less debt. As a returning citizen, we're faced with the recidivism rates of 70% of returning citizens have a new charge or return to jail or prison within three years because they're missing out on one of the most important factors of reentry and that's employment. So imagine taking that 37% and cutting cutting 37% off of that 70%. Then that's 37% more taxpayers. That's 37% more income in the municipality. That's a 37% increase in public safety. That's amazing. Think about it, just 1% every day for a year, that improvement makes the difference. Once again, if you're looking to make that improvement, if you're looking to get to that 1% every day for a year and look back on the year and get that 37% for one year and the year after and the year after that and the year after that, I'd love to work with you one-on-one as a returning citizen or as a second chance coaching client, or if you're that representative of the business or university that's looking to make that difference to Give that 1% improvement every day for the students and the employees that you serve. Contact me, get in touch with me. Contact me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, as always, I always say if you've been blessed to see another day, another minute, another moment, you've been blessed with your second chance. So make the most of it. I love you all. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving again and be well.